0: Hi, everybody. Um, welcome. I'm so excited for you to join us here today. Um, my name is Ranisha Oswala and I'm the coordinator for Fraternity and Sorority Life. And uh, today I have two awesome guests with me. Um, I have Rudy Barbie, and I have Fred Jackson and I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves. So Rudy, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Well, greetings to all of you as alumni. Uh, Rudy Barbie with the class area of the 72 to about 77. I arrived at Lock at, from Lock High School in Los Angeles to Cal Poly in September of 72 and was able to be uh, introduced full-fledged into the quarter system, which was a bit different. I think one of my biggest mistakes is I missed orientation and the and the stay over at the dorms but um, i went from burger king and track to aliso village seven o'clock chemistry and seven o'clock calculus classes with five o'clock pm labs and that was a big difference from what i had been doing in los angeles uh and i'll i'll share other things that i've done during my school um environment which was was very exciting by the way. Awesome. Fred?
0: Thank you so much Fred, go
2: ahead. Yeah well thank you Ronisha for having us. I'm Fred Jackson, originally from Compton and came to Cal Poly and graduated in 1995 with a major in urban and regional planning I did a number of things while I was on campus. I was involved in BSU, Black Student Union, um, American wow. Student Planning Association. I sat on the dorm council. I also was on the Greek council, both wow. the, the National wow. Panhellenic, because I'm a member, a proud member of Alpha Phi, Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, initiated into, I have a side chapter there at Cal Poly on uh, March 5th, 1989. And so, yeah, I, I served as president of the fraternity chapter, uh, Iota Psi, while I was there, and had several, several, several fond memories while I was there. And so, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing both of you. Um, I know that I am I am privileged to be here with both of you because there is just so much history um, just with Cal Poly Pomona, but also fraternity sorority life, which is my space that I occupy and just with Alpha Phi Alpha and the IOTA Psi chapter specifically. So I know uh, Rudy, you kind of gave a shorter intro because I know you have so much more that you can uh, share with us, but I, I want you to be able to kind of Talk through what your experiences were like on campus and and what kind of led you to kind of your beginnings, your legacy that I was kind of talking about. So you can go ahead
1: and share. But I'll, I'll go to the beginning. Cal Poly had recruited a number of Black students from high schools all over California and the nation. And they had been doing that for some years in the late 60s, early 70s. Marguerite Archie Hudson, or Miss Archie, as I knew her, was my college counselor. She later became um, president of Talladega College, but she also was in the assembly as well. They had introduced me to Cal Poly. I, quite honestly, I guess we can cut this. I wasn't going to college. I was going to open up a couple of Burger Kings and do some stuff. But I, anyway, I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up at Aliso. <laughs> on, the, on the campus already was, I guess, the waning days of the initial BSU movement. So it was a well-oiled machine, Steve Quincy, Sterling Barnes. They're now deceased, unfortunately were among the the cadre of black students at various levels of academic uh, accomplishment already on the campus. Then there became this unit of this campus center called BCU, Black Council for Unity. And that was a type of an umbrella organization under which other organizations could function. There was always this feeling of being a stepchild, of being exiled by the organized fraternities and sororities, as well as other organizations that wanted to be recognized on the campus. And I'll be quick. There were two subparagraphs within the state statute for Cal Poly that prohibited national social organizations from being recognized on the campus. Couldn't even apply. And the language actually said that. The rationale simply was that the university did not want to be in a situation where they were in conflict with their rules of the campus, vis-a-vis the rules of a national organization. Several of the Divine Nine existed on the campus as individual affiliates of, say, an LA chapter of their respective organizations, The Delta's sigmas alphas and kappas i don't believe there's i don't believe there were other i may be wrong about the other but there were there were maybe one of the four sororities on campus at the time on the campus in its administration were several men of alpha dr bell vice president administration student affairs highest ranking black person on the campus And also, you should know, he was very responsible for the Black educator being in the Pomona Valley. So many teachers in the Pomona Unified School District or the Pomona Valley Education Districts were recruited by him directly or indirectly. And at his funeral, it became a ceremony. Folks spoke to that effect. But I just wanted folks to know that. Bert Hammond had his involvement in urban, in urban planning, as did a, a brother, Robert. And there was a Charles Lewis, who was an architect out of USC, and his wife, Janice, who was the one of the head police of Montecito, I believe. She was head of that. So on the campus, there was this, Cadre of different uh, African Americans on the campus in various levels. Several of the fraternities, primarily the Kappas and the Alphas, got together with Dr. Bell and addressed this issue of recognition. And Dr. Bell asked that we prepare a paper for Dr. Kramer, President Kramer, and he would then proceed with addressing the issue of applying for recognition on the campus. So a paper was developed, it was presented, and ultimately on December nineteen seventy five, the statutes were stricken and it opened the door for national organizations to apply for recognition onto the campus. That's the divine nine and all the other folks. Here's the key thing about Black Frillion not that to be preaching too much. but And this is one of the things we said in the papers, Dr. Kramer, we were trying to show him that there was a, there was a distinct relevance of academia and socialization and necessity with respect to Black uh, fraternities and sororities. You had upperclassmen and any people in your own line who maybe had more experience than you that could help you succeed, if not initially survive. Mm. And some of us didn't make it at Cal Poly. Some of us did not come back, and some of them doing very well, and some of them wish they had not left. But you were at a point where you didn't have your ace boon from the neighborhood with you. You had another individual that you had to kind of depend on. Right. So that was embedded. Whether the deans of pledges knew this, and I, you know, I think they did, I'm going to give them that. But it was very interesting how you introduced that concept. And make it very generic way. It'll help you in adulthood. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to play football to know this. I mean, I'm sorry. You didn't have to be on an organized team to do that. But I mean, I ran track, and that was a team. But I still don't think it had the synergy of a football and basketball group or hockey. Mm -hmm. It just it just didn't. But but you were participating in a larger thing. You knew about it. So on Cal Poly's campus there was this scenario that folks would come into Encinitas or some other gathering and they would say, well, what's wrong with you? He says, Oh, I went to the, the registrar's office, or I went to the pay- make my payment and they just looked at me and, we, and everybody said, yo, I know, I know what they said. Well, I'm sorry. And that would be it. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to find your answer. And so everyone kind of laughed, but they knew of that hurtful experience when you're by yourself, navigating this foreign element and no one on the other side of that class is going to help you
2: yeah that's similar to my experience you know coming from compton uh my high school no one else uh from my high school came to cal poly and then on top of that you know i originally applied to cal poly as an architectural student uh major and i got waitlisted and so cal poly was my only choice i wanted to be oh. an architect and mm-hmm. i figured you know uh usc was too close to home and too costly uh ucla oh. didn't have an undergraduate architectural program and i wanted to stay california and cal poly was yeah. the school and it was you know it's i want to say you know, it's definitely regionally recognized as one of the top architectural schools but definitely on the west coast and so in any event i came to cal poly and then switched to urban planning after I got uh, waitlisted on the architectural program. You know, there are very few African-American students in the, in, in the environmental design building, period. <laughs> still, uh, to and, <laughs> yeah, still to this day. Still to this day. And let known urban planning. And I lived in, I wish I got into Aliso, but I, I lived in Montecito. And so when I came, uh, Montecito was the all-male dorm. And uh, my parents, were like, that's where you need to be because, you know, you don't need to be distracted and all that and this and all the other. And I'm like, <laughs> well. um, so, you know, my existence, my first year and a half, almost two years at Cal Poly was I went to class. I went back to the dorm. I went to the library. I did what I had to do right? Mm-hmm. And and I socialized with the guys. I played basketball and ping pong with the guys in the dorms. And, and you know, during that time, there's a lot going on in the world. I mean, you know, there was the Iraq, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: with well, de- desert, desert Storm. Desert, desert
2: Storm, shit. yeah. And all that was going on. And so folks were, you know, protesting that. And then during the campus, there was um I don't know what was going on but folks were starting to hang these little uh like dolls um or whatever um like H- on new H- hang,
1: hang, hanging things in effigy yeah,
2: yeah yeah throughout the campus and so um um I was invited to the smoker which you know is informational for the fraternity and um I knew one or two of the guys that were part of the the, the frat cuz there was an older brother who was in urban planning um, who invited me? Um, but when I got to the smoker, um, to to Rudy's point, um, all of the guys that were in the in the fraternity, well, most of the guys, they were one was the president of the Nesby, one was a, was the the president of. There was an NAACP chapter at the time. There was an Alpha there. There was the um, the treasurer and the secretary of BSU was an Alpha. All of the leadership positions of the black student organizations had alphas on them, um, and, and so they talked about that. Then they also talked about their involvement going into Pomona Unified and running up, going to Camarillo, and doing different things on the campuses in Pomona. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> even for someone from Caltech. <laughs>
1: Well, you, you take me back. I can tell you when it all started. And, Good. And so, you know,
2: it was really, um, I'm like, you know what? I can see myself and identify myself with these guys, right? They're leaders. Um, and to Rudy's point, you know, it's like, you ever need help? Because, you know, there was the, the brother that was over Nesby, he was like, like aerospace engineering, something ridiculous, right? <laughs> and just a brainiac. And it's like, you need help with math, you need help with this very helpful, very down-to-earth guys, and I naturally gravitated to that, their leadership, their service, and then um they invited me to, they threw a party in the union, on you know, and, and they 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 had, they had both floors of the union rented out, and had DJs <laughs> on both floors, and like, hey, mind you, I told you what I was doing before, just going from a dorm to the class to the this and the that, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, this is the group I'm going to associate with after I went to that party. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were honestly, you know, in other organizations, you know, we'll say they did a lot on campus, but from my observations, they were definitely heading above leaders. And that's what I identified with. And so they provided a community Right. For me to to be a part of and, you know, what they, what they say, you're only strong as your weakest link. And, and we're, we're taught to be one. And mm-hmm. we would go out and do things as a brotherhood. Right. And to try and make an impact, and a difference in the campus. So well, I got articles where we wrote the, in the polypost Post editorials about things that were going on. Um, you know, like I said, we would do things in Pomona Unified. So brothers are very active, and I I owe I think where I am today to a lot of that that brotherhood, a lot of that training that I got in terms of how to present myself, how to talk, breaking out of my little shell, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. socializing and just being well-rounded, right? And I think that's what I decided. And and as a result, you know, always active in the dorm on the student council. I mean, on the on the dorm council, and different things. But I became even more involved because uh, you know, fraternity Alpha gave me that outlet and that confidence and the support, right? Mm-hmm. That support system and that brotherhood. So, you know, everything Rudy said, I concur. I mean, he he was a little different era to me, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's still you know. Transcended, you know, time, and right. it connected me to a broader community also on campus. You know, because yeah. you know the other Divine Nine, the other students, the African students on campus. Because mm. yeah, you know, sometimes, yeah. like particularly then, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was differences, like, huh? <laughs> yeah, just like like they looked at them like they were, you know. Yeah, some other immigrant, uh,
0: uh-huh.
2: right? Right, right. And, and versus right. Well, and, going and, through the and, same. and
1: they and they looked at you. <laughs>
2: uh, well, I ain't going all there, but you know. Now,
1: when but think, you open up that the horse stable. i You know,
2: I'm not going to the stables. You know, I'm not going to the stables. But yeah, <laughs> but it was. It would, but it did connect you to a broader didn't right. diaspora, right? of black students at Cal Poly, and I don't think I would have been exposed to otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, because- I will interject, you know, Cal Poly, Fred, I will interject.
2: I'll, I'll say this, I'll, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over. I'll, you know, while there is a a, a contingent of, of students that stay on campus, large majority are commuters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you okay. don't see a lot of folks um, you can easily miss folks, mm-hmm. um, and so um, the fraternity grounded me and gave me a community that then tied me, and the tentacles went out to all these other different—I um, um, won't say sub-communities, but other communities and, and, and right. networks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: that's
1: Renisha, we had on the campus uh, former prisoners. They lived in Kellogg House up the hill. Okay. So that was another subgroup that entered into the black groups in Cal Poly. And there was, uh, obviously some intrepidation in in dealing with that, but, um, they were welcome. There was, I talk about the commons for those in the dorms, but the other main gathering other than Encinitas was the, um, Caf- the main cafeteria for the campus. There was, mm-hmm. It was sectioned off, and, and that's where your commuters and non-commuters gravitated. So there were elements of Black and non-Black opportunities to be engaged in the Cal Poly environment. And there was rejection and acceptance, and that, and that was part of the, the whole life experience.
2: I was gonna, you know, I was just thinking, you know, Rudy raises up as well. Dr. Bell and Dr. Hammond were still around when I was mm-hmm. on campus, and and um, and Dr. Bell retired while I was there, and then uh, Bert Hammond retired a little bit later on, but. They opened and provided so much for Black students on the campus, you know, and not only the fraternity and Alpha, right, being members of the fraternity, but everybody knew Dr. Bell. And everybody knew Dr. Hammond, right. And I will just say from my experience as well. I never had that kind of relationship with a teacher, like in high school, right? Or, or, mm-hmm. or anytime before, right? You know, I just, it was like the teacher was this person that was at the front of the class and you got your instructions and you, right. you know, you may like ask. untouchable, the, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You may ask a question here or there and, and, you know, but you never had a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until, and, um, um, you know, and I, I became involved with the fraternity where I really developed a relationship with some older African-American men who weren't in my family um, or in the church I grew up in and opened up other doors and other avenues and Dr. Hammond was a uh, was he was a mentor definitely a mentor of mine and, and friend you know, um, that I'm uh, still close with his family to this day matter of fact my um, grandson is a fraternity brother. And so, oh, awesome. um, 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 and so, yeah, I, I, I just think about um, what the organizations and the cultural organizations and the fraternity um, provided that avenue to connect with, you know, adults, you know, um, <laughs> and to develop those relationships and mentorships, I think, which is, is more key and critical right. mm-hmm. uh, for all of us. Um, as we- One
1: thing I want to, inter- to interject, Fred. It that Renisha could appreciate this. There was a point where Dr. Hammond and Dr. Bell were at odds. This is true. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, it, it, and it put some deep crevices in the intra relationship of black students on the campus. Mm. Not all students, but those that were in that circle of being involved in the dynamic of the campus. To the point where folks had to take sides. Well, wow. It was short-lived, fortunately. But it just goes to show you in, in complementing what Fred just mentioned about the relationship that an elder person has over a young person at the college age. And I think it was other adults that helped smooth that over or it wasn't just one issue. I know it was more than one, but you have people in authority that have responsibilities and you have people in authority that have other vision and sometimes they don't align. (laughs) And if they go public with the not misalignment, it can get emotional. And I got blasted for, you know, defending just, I mean, it just happened. Folks got to argue. (laughs) <laughs> but it is, it is a piece of Black culture at Cal Poly that should not be overlooked, and it is just as important as the overall view that Fred just gave in terms of you as an adult looking forward and being nurtured by elder individuals. hmm
0: so let me ask this while we're even talking about um, Dr. Bell and Dr. Hammond. So I know that they played just such a huge or well, at least Dr. Bell played such a huge role in in moving the, the organization forward and opportunities for black students. So now if we kind of think about. You know we're already talking about the black student experience, but talking about the cultural centers, like being able to bring them together, right? So the cultural centers, especially the, the African American Student Center, came around in 1995. Fred, I know you said you were on your way out that year. Oh, yeah. But but they were both, they were there, you know, during that time. So how Did you see kind of like them, their roles playing out during that time of like trying to establish or continue to bring together, um, not only just black students either, but maybe students of other populations as well. And kind of what was your perspective, I guess,
1: of what was happening on the campus? Either one of you can answer. I came up with eight kind of line items on the legacy of a cultural center, if it would help. That it's um, a venue for reflection. It bridges generational knowledge it's the relay of truth because that's where it's shared it's where myths and facts converge they're not only artifacts but a place for the griots so you not only have the verbal um appreciation but you would have physical aspects in either in a digital form or what have you, there's an appreciation of one's past and foundation goes into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of belonging, and you and you and there's a validation of you count and a validation of sustainable expectation. So those are kind of I thought generic pieces of legacy for a culture center. And then when you place that into this new environment called the university and a person that's never been in that kind of a bubble before, there, there need, there's a sense of loneliness, of challenge, and intrepidation. And once there's a connection, whether that be with an ethnocentric group or whether that be with an academic-oriented group, that sense of belonging i.e. going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one can ensure their success and self-confidence, because the college environment can be a bit unforgiving. (laughs) Yeah,
2: um, I'm I'm trying to recall. Um, You know, definitely Dr. Bell and definitely, more so Dr. Bell than Dr. Hammond they were still heavily involved in trying to recruit African-American students to the campus, right? And reaching out into Pomona Unified, reaching back out into South L.A. at that time, you know, it wasn't uh, South Central. South Central. <laughs> it wasn't South L.A. You know, and I, so I think from from that perspective, they were still heavily involved, I know they were, kind of that um, the sounding board, you know, for students to go to. Mm-hmm. To flesh out your arguments, if you will, right, or you try to make them to a larger, a larger case, right, um, for support. And I, and 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 I'm pretty certain. I don't know this, the fact, but I'm pretty certain behind the scenes they were moving all kinds of, having all kinds of late night talks with different folks. Um, to support, you know, the cultural centers that are coming on campus, right, um, the, the, the development of those and, mm-hmm. and, and properly resourcing them, right, because that's right. another piece. It's, it's one thing to build a building and then put a title right. on
0: it, right? but it, it's right.
2: really about the resourcing and the support that those centers provide back to what right. Rudy Talking about at the opening right those eight elements which i can't run down rudy as good as you did uh-huh. but, <laughs> but all of the things that these cultural centers provide I, right i was
1: planning for this meeting
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know but it, it provides you know a, a foundation a centering community it provides um yeah support and network which i think that's what honestly, Dr. Bell and Dr. Hammond were before the buildings, right? They were the culture.
1: Yeah, that is true. There was an urban, there was an urban institute that Bert Hammond had, and that was more engaged in the practical functionality of school to the community. And then Dr. Bell had the that had the traditional overarching. Uh, parochial, I guess you could say, relationship of the university to the city, but Dr. Bell had another element that was in his heart. He went and searched and grabbed folks. Mm. Mm-hmm. You had all that. I don't want to put any of them in any one particular uh, uh, silo, sure. but uh, they they dealt with the hierarchy and the folk in the hood differently yeah but they dealt with it and Mm -hmm. and you needed that type of agility with within the black community and with those two black men in an environment like cal poly not casting aspersions on cal poly but it it Mm -hmm. wasn't the most welcoming environment sometimes i mean you gotta darwinistically survive but
2: I don't know if, Rudy, you heard about Cal Poly or knew about Cal Poly before you came.
0: Mm. I did not.
2: Right, me either. The interesting thing, growing up, we would always go to Pomona Fair. Mm. (laughs) And I knew what Pomona was, but I never heard of Cal Poly Pomona Mm. until I started looking at colleges. And so um, that speaks to... Actually, it it, it 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 reaffirms the importance of the cultural centers, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you aren't even thought of to be recruited,
0: right? right. You're yeah. not
2: thought of to be, um, and and then when you get there, you know, you make, you know, maybe there's a, a thousand or two students, right? Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier. If you're on campus, living on campus, there's a small segment there, but the majority of folks are commuters. And so it's really hard to find that community of support without the culture, of without the fraternity and sororities, without those organizations. And so that's what they provided. And like I said, prior to 1995, Dr. Bell, and Dr. Hammond, and a few others they were that, they filled in the gap, right? And right. they brought the students together, even despite their differences <laughs> on occasion, um, um, and provided that 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 safety net and that support that I think we all need. Because and, and, um, as Rudy said, they used the word intimidating. College is intimidating for someone mm-hmm. um, coming from South Central LA or Compton or... <laughs> Watts, you know, and and you yep. get up there, and and um, one, you're only one of whatever in the sea of of other.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So the cultural center serves two purposes: letting you know that you exist and you count, and letting other people know you exist, you count, you is any ethnic label, mm-hmm. but but the fact that it is the launching pad for campus cultural engagement Mm -hmm. so fred that's why you see alpha and other divine nine in the very traditional fabric of cal poly because during the 70s it was noted you survive by networking you branch off and become part of the fabric of the university Mm. Thereby adding to its value, mm. and you open the doors more to other people and other ideas and other ways of looking at things. And you're not stigmatized. Right. And if you That's are, good. there's an intellectual way of dealing with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But you yeah. know, but I would also add to your point the retention, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you know, we all know yeah. guys, uh, young ladies who yeah. came to Cal Poly with us. And yeah. not due to some, due to oh. academic or not being properly prepared, as you were talking about, Rudy. You know, <laughs> um, um, you, you know, Locke or, or Jordan down there. I won't, I won't use you know Locke, but I'll I'll use one of your rivals, uh, Jordan High School. Yeah, I was going to add the point of of when you come from an environment that doesn't prepare you as others who get this stuff in in, in junior high, right? Middle mm-hmm. school in some cases. Yeah. Um, the fraternity sorority cultural center, African American Cultural Center, becomes that um, that place where that sanctuary, right? That mm-hmm. you can go to to get that support that will help you sustain yourself. To graduation at least from an academic and otherwise perspective right there's mm-hmm. there may be the financial piece that that many students run into um, of uh, the inability to to pay the full tuition but in terms of all the other things right in terms of um trying to figure out who the heck am i right you know how do i fit into this that identity place? development uh, and exploration and, yeah, yeah and cal poly um, you know, I'm trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to stay on top of my, 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 my studies. I'm trying to, you know, trying to date, trying you know, I'm trying to do all these different things. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> that cultural center and fraternity sororities and other organizations on campus that grounds you and provides you like, hey man, you know, you may not want to take uh, professor So-and-so because they're crazy. <laughs> and, and yes, we are on quarters. So the amount of work they are gonna get, at least they were quarters then. I know Cal Poly just switched to semesters. We but have you know yeah, You got what it was it? Uh,
1: uh-huh. I guess the anxiety I level did, goes down you
2: now. You gotta hit it, right? You you had no time to be uh dilly-dallying, as my dad would say. You know, you gotta hit it. And so um the cultural centers again provided that 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 support take this, take that. No, yeah, I got a book from here, you know, in um, fraternities, you know, we, we certainly were <laughs> known, at least during minor, right, of sharing our books, um, you know, sharing notes, um, old tests and all that sort of thing, you know, to, to assist our fraternity brothers with, you know, navigating Cal Poly and navigating the system that really wasn't intended or set up for you, right? Because they didn't recruit you.
1: Right. What's interesting, is Fred just epitomized one individual named Corliss Bennett. And she did exactly what he's talking about, almost single-handedly, I know she had a staff, at USC. And I think she left and went to Humboldt. But she epitomized the cultural center, what it needs to be, an opportunity to just be to ask those questions that you don't want the public to know. And you don't want to have to get a psychiatrist. You know, you don't want to have to talk to, to the aunt or grandmama in L.A. and wait till the weekend. But you could actually talk to a person who, who has seen it. And, and uh, I mean, if there's professional help, know that they'll refer you. But the point is, you got somebody that can just kind of say, hey, take a minute, take a breath, and then launch back out there. And the cultural center really can serve as that beacon for survival and support.
0: hmm Yeah. It no, I totally agree with that um, for sure. You know, both of you bring up super just valid points about the importance of just that network in the community, and that's what I, I honestly think that it did is is from your time, Rudy, all the way through Fred, and then even through my time is is being you know as a graduate from. Cal Poly in 2011, um, which now hearing you all talk about your graduation days, I'm like, oh man, sometimes my students are like, 2011, oh my gosh. (laughs) But, you know, it really does, it, it, the, all of those things kind of compounding on top of each other just continues to build that foundation, that community. All right, well, I thank y'all so much for the conversation. Uh, We'll have to do it again at some point. And uh, we'll have a a good night. And uh, like I said, I really do appreciate it.